Hello, beautiful, lightful souls. My name is Trisha Barker, and I'm so excited to have this interview today with Janet Tarantino. She was at the first annual Near-Death Experience Summit, and if you attended that, thank you so much for that. There will be one next year, and I'm already starting the planning and thinking about it. I also want to remind you that there are some courses that are available, and these are more workshops. Uh, Peter Panagor has one offering spiritual guidance and counseling, and through Zoom, this is like a great way to connect with people, and there's lots of wonderful workshops. Uh, everyone is motivated to help people make transformations in their life, and each person has a different style. I will be having different workshops, but only five at a time, and I'll have different teachers coming in and out, and I'll also working with um, with other people in the near-death experience community who are doing similar things, and I'll give you more information about that, but I thought we might as well begin, and Janet, I'm so happy to have you here again, so welcome. It's a pleasure and honor for me to be here. Thanks, Trisha. Great, and my first question to you, and a lot of people talk about this, and at the IAMS convention this summer, the whole topic is the after effects of near-death experiences, and before we get into your near-death experience, I. I wanted you to weigh in a bit on the after effects and they might they might be a little bit different because you may have had several after effects since you've had three near-death experiences but when you look at them cumulatively what do you think has been the most profound change to your life because of near-death experiences um i can live i can live with grace i can live free i can, i'm not restricted to my own little world here, my whole world is, is opened up. It's, um, uh, I'm not fearful of going any place. I, I, I want to live with love. So yes, it's, it's opened my entire world up. That's, Beautiful. The, that's the main thing that happened. And I think that's with a lot of us, we're not afraid anymore to actually live and enjoy our life because that's what it's all about. We, this is a mission for us to, to live and learn because everything here is a lesson. So if you look at it as, as an adventure rather than just surviving, um, it, it changes your perspective. And that's what we need to do. We need to change our perspective to looking for heaven here. That's a great point that when you have a mission, you can handle so much pain, you can walk through just about anything because you know that your spirit is the real force that's guiding you through this life and your connection to God. It, yeah, that's beautifully said. And everything we encounter is only temporary. It, everything's overcomable. We just have to look, look at it as a lesson and look at it, uh, what we've learned by it and, and take our own steps to get through it because uh, he does provide steps to get through it. We just have to look for them. I was listening to a talk with Robert Schwartz last night and he talks about your soul's mission and your soul's plan before birth and all that. I think in the, near, in the first annual Near-Death Experience Online Summit, you mentioned a tiny, tiny piece of that. I don't know if you want to elaborate any more. Are you the more plan. aware? Yeah, the more yeah, the aware of the planning. Our life is pre-planned, yeah, uh, and and I knew, I knew that after all of these things. Matter of fact, in my third near-death experience, you know, uh, when I got the download of information, it wasn't just download of information, it was flashes of images of where I was at certain points in my life, which is what my book is based off of, Dying to See. Um, yeah, 
those points in my life, he showed me that those were planned or, and that was important those or those things were important to me but everything is planned that's why we have deja vu moments you know those are moments that our soul that oh i've done this i feel like i've done this before been here before it's because you're aware of the pre-planning when i was four uh years old i i had uh I, i tell about how i had had i told my mother that i was going to die young and she was you know, she was horrified, you know, so I, and she said, don't talk like that. But as I sat, stood there, I was, had vision, three visions go through my head, possibly more, but I remember three specifically. And what I didn't know was those were my three near-death experiences that I was going to have in the future. So that's a, that's a, a point of pre-planning. And then in my first near-death experience, my, my daughter's spirit came and I tell about that in the book. And and I know it was her because, but she wasn't going to be born till 15 years later. So there's pre-planning there. She wanted me to be back in my body. And then um, in my near-death experience, I mean, there's other points I tell about, but in my my third near-death experience, I see an image of my son and I knew that something was going to happen with him. Again, how would I know if things weren't planned? There are so many points in my book that show that we have a pre-planned life. And it's such an interesting theory, and it's such a beautiful theory, too, that we sign up to either the way Robert Schwartz talks about it is to release karma in some ways or to learn a lesson in a different way. You know, we come in and and want to do these these things to really and often just to help humanity like that's all of our soul's purpose in some way is to help humanity and i, I wondered if, if you feel that way too do you feel this calling to help humanity yes, in some way yes, I, I do a matter of fact and that's because uh after my third near-death experience um you know i kept silent about these things all my life no, I didn't have anybody I could tell except for my daughter. I shared most everything with her because she was open to it and she didn't, she didn't discount things like a lot of people did. And, um, we, uh, we went on with, um, refresh my memory here. I got kind of side. Oh, <laughs> yeah, no, no, that's fine. Um, we're talking about missions. So I know that oh, you do yeah, have one. Yeah. Yes. So please, so she, it's been helping me with my mission, but I wrote the, the, the book and, and we went on, Gina and I went on a uh, thing to see, we got a coupon. We went to see a soul painting and, and this lady that painted our souls, I thought she was going to paint it with, with the color blue. Cause what I saw was the color blue. It, when my soul left my body, I, I actually saw what it looked like. And I thought she would be, if she was valid, she would paint something blue but she what she did she said those are uh, soul painting is she says a prayer and she asks for our permission to connect to our heavenly records again pre-planning okay and the gatekeeper of the heavenly records then gives her images in her mind to paint that's an, and the ultimate picture is of importance to the sitter well each each uh color she uses is significant too because uh, that uh signifies 
uh, yellow is an intellectual, pink is love, each thing is, is significant. But the ultimate picture she painted was my near-death experience, my third, and so everything kept going back to my third near-death experience. And I was wanted to know, what was I going to do? What was I supposed to do? He keeps showing me my third near-death experience. So I went home and I prayed about it, and when I prayed about it, I asked him, what do you want me to do? Just tell me. And I had evaluated my strengths and my weaknesses. And I thought, okay, I'm not, I can't be a speaker. And, you know, I'm not, I'm a quiet person. I am not, wouldn't be good at that. And uh, the only thing I could think of is maybe I could write a book. If I worked hard, I could search for the right words. And when I prayed, the next morning I woke up and I heard his voice say, make it about me. And I had images, images of speaking and images of a book come through my mind. So what he had, was showing me was I set my own limitations. Yes. He set my limitations. So I need to overcome my limitations because that's self-imposed. And we need to realize where are those limitations coming from? Just like I had as a child um, made judgments on certain things, because of how I perceived them. And, but that wasn't what it actually was. It was just my perception of things. I, so we I need love to that. our perceptions. Yeah. I love that. That's exactly what I learned after my first near-death experience too, is I was told to come back and be a teacher and I had a specific mission, but I hated public speaking. And the first time I was on a stage, I won an award, even though I was still in a body cast for a poem. And so I decided to stand up on that stage and connect with every human being there who'd been through pain and kind of like internally ask them for compassion and connection and to bless them in some way. And when I, I looked at it as how can I bless these people, it wasn't about me, it wasn't about speaking, you know, it was really God working through me. And, you know, more and more that lesson like became apparent that it's not about us, that it's about God and it's about our mission. And, and you stated that exactly. Yeah. yeah. That, that's what this book is about. It's not, a. it may be about my experiences, but he created my experiences and he creates experiences in everybody's lives. And so my book, I want to want to share at senior centers. I want to share wherever I possibly can to spread the news that, that he is alive. He's with us. He's actually in us right now. And we are what we see, he sees. So it, that is, that's what I'm supposed to do. And that's, oh. that's my passion. That's so beautiful. That's become my passion. So. And, you know, with so many changes online too, like these sharing groups through ISGO, you know, there might be a way to do that in senior citizen groups all across the nation and the world. And that's really kind of amazing that, you know, our speaking doesn't have to be in our town, but it can be, you know, in these platforms and it can bless people. And thank you for that. So I do want to jump in and just let you quickly summarize the first two near-death experiences because I really want to get to the third one because that's the one that loops back to a lot and and then tell us just I'll just let you tell the story of that third near-death experience and I'm I might jump in and ask a few questions but I'll, I'll just let you tell the story okay well the first near-death experience as I said had, had showed my daughter's spirit came and I saw uh, my guide so I do know that we have guides 
that guide us throughout life. Uh, and he was what they call a watcher in the Bible because he basically just watches and protects us. Um, that the second near-death experience was a car accident. And in my car accident, I had a voice that, that told me, gave me instructions to save my life. And I also had um, a spirit that I could not see that picked me up and saved me in that accident. So I, and I also was looking down on it from above. So there, again, there are spirits there protecting us. And in, in times of trouble, they, they will help you. And you did have a recovery, kind of a long recovery from I that did. car accident. Yeah. Although I didn't break any bones or anything. And I did leave the hospital that day with shin, uh, skinned knees from coming down between the uh, steering wheel and the um, the what do they call that the front of the car anyway um the dashboard <laughs> i couldn't think of the word <laughs> anyway um but i didn't know i moved uh, initially i didn't know i moved it was only when i saw the pictures of the car because i saw the windshield shatter um that i realized the windshield that shattered was the rear window so I had been tossed into the back seat, and that's where the spirit picked me up from was because it was after that um, initial shattering. But I did have a, a long year recovery because then I, my whole muscles uh, cinched up, and I could hardly walk uh, and move. So I had to go through therapy for that, um, massage therapy and exercises uh, a, at a graduated basis until I could repay, uh, recover some semblance of uh, normal. And did you think about the spirits that helped you much? I mean, was that something that stayed in your mind? And, and... Um, I knew something was out there now. I, you know, I, I had discounted it when I was 15, as kids often do, you know, you shelve it. Um, that's what the near-death studies have, have shown, and that's certainly the case with me. I knew something was going on, and I was afraid afterwards. And this one, I was thinking, okay, now what's going on? But who's going to believe me? So I did keep quiet about it. Um, and yeah, I kept that in my mind um, again, but, but then it was with the third one that everything broke open. And, uh, and what happened with that third one? Can you set the scene a little? And uh, I had, after the second near-death experience, six years after, um, one of the images God showed me was that he, uh, there was a, what I call an, an ambush makeover. And this ambush makeover was God uh, tearing me down because my world changed overnight. There was no cause for it. Uh, in our world, there was no cause for it because it was six years after the accident. And no, everything was great in my life, but I went from one day being vibrant network coordinator. I'd worked for 13 years uh, for a, uh, an international corporation. I, had, I covered seven states moving um, product from location to location, and it took a lot of analytical skills. My math was great. Uh, I had great interpersonal skills, um, verbal skills, and but the next morning I was stuttering, I couldn't speak, I was shaking. Um, my whole world had changed, and I was slapping myself because I was getting these electrical shocks that were so uh, intense, which I know now was the um, uh, breaking out of the Holy Spirit. You know, He was coming on board, you know, He was going to restructure my being just like a computer analyst re, re does a computer only. 
it takes a long time. You can't, a physical body doesn't sleep at night and just reboot the next morning. With our makeover, it takes quite some time, which it did. But I went to a, um, a miracle crusade. Uh, was just coincidental that my husband's cousin worked for this, for Benny Hinn on his music staff, and he was going to be in town. I'd never heard of Benny Hinn, who is a healer, a, a miracle healer and great speaker. Um, and so I went there for to meet his cousin. That's what we went to meet, and we wanted to listen to the sermon. But we got I got caught up in the in the praying, and I was singing singing to songs like uh, "Jesus, You're All I Need," uh, "You're the Savior of My Soul," uh, "God, Breathe Upon Me," "Breath of God," um, and He touched me. And so that Benny was not on stage when I was singing these songs, praying. But you know, you're singing. You're doing your praying with the words to the song, you, and so, and you're caught up in that. So that's what I was praying for. But he did give me, he did touch my head that day with, with like a Cinderella wand, you know, like the sparkles coming down over your head. Um, I felt dizzy, and I did get a partial healing. Then I could start doing some math problems again. Not great, but I did much because it hurt to think before. I couldn't even analyze things because it hurt to think. Did you yeah. hit? Did you hit your head during the the car wreck? Uh, I don't have any recollections wow. of that, and there I didn't have any bruises or anything. But the I'm sure the tossing around in the car. Yeah. But this was six years after. Yeah. So it shouldn't have it shouldn't have occurred six years after. It would have occurred, you know, at the time of the accident. Do you, but, in your in your soul plan? Do you have any idea about why you were meant to learn that about healing or anything? He was making me over to be the person because in the car accident, he saved me. And in the Bible, it says, I will send my, I will save you, but then you will honor me. And so he was breaking me down and rebuilding me up to the person that will honor him. And I, and, and I know that to be true, at least in my, in my truth. And so, um, the third near-death experience was where he actually exercised my prayer. He made that come true because in that near-death experience, he healed my soul. And that's what I was praying for. You know, and it, it was a couple years after, after I prayed for it, but nothing is the same on the other side. There is no time, you know. When, when you say he healed your soul, what needed healing? I mean, if you don't mind me asking, you know, like what, what was that yearning or what was the real healing that was needed? Well, you know, uh, uh, we all have our insecurities and we all, we don't realize that we are um, better than we think we are. And he, he was bringing me out of uh, my insecurities and mm. it doesn't really need a big reason. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If, if, if you ask for it, you will get it. And that's what I was praying for, be the savior of my soul. But that, after that experience, after I understood the depth of that experience, then everything was shed. Like the chains that bind, they were gone. They were gone. So yeah, that's, that was the reason for the near-death experience. But 
it was caused by an allergy. So he created me to have an allergy. As, not, as near death experiences, it wasn't actually an allergy, it was in, in, in a, a sensitivity. Uh, I didn't know it at the time. Um, I knew I felt better outside the house than I did inside, but I didn't know uh, what it was about. Um, but it, when I went in the house, I would get congested and my nose would clog up. Um, was so bad I'd have to take allergy pills. So at night, um, when I went to bed, uh, we lived on a 75-acre ranch out in the country. I went to bed, propped up on three pillows so that I could breathe. This wow. particular night, um, I fell asleep with my hands over my stomach like I always do. And my chest started hurting sometime in the night. And I couldn't breathe. I couldn't sit up for breath and I needed help. So I reached for my husband with my left hand and I couldn't feel him. I called for him and I said, help me, Gavin, help me. And there was no response. And then all of a sudden I was out of my body and I was looking down from the ceiling. So obviously I had died, um, suffocated to death from the congestion. And I looked down and I saw him laying there and my hands were still over my stomach. So what I was reaching for was my was, was with my spirit arms and I didn't make contact with him because I my spirit arms obviously went through him. I didn't see that, but that's what that's what my analytical skills, you know, have decided because I, I did reach for him. I know I did, and it had to have been with my spirit arms, and it must have been my spirit voice that was calling for him, and he couldn't hear it. Um, I I watched my body. I look, was interested in seeing what it was all about because now I was free. I was I felt magnificent. I felt like I was set free from prison. You know, like <laughs> I had been in a. Uh, it, if you could think of the women in the olden days that, you know, how they're cinching up those dresses with the corsets and all of a sudden the lace sets break and they're free. It's like, oh, I can actually breathe again. I love that. Yeah. We don't realize how constricting the body is and how wonderful it is out there. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I felt my spirit arms floating out to my side and they were kind of elongated and uh, I knew they were there though, and I saw a silver cord float by in front of me, but it floated by with a sense of weightlessness, like being in, in like astronauts in a spaceship, you see things floating around. That's what it went by as. And that silver cord, it, I didn't know it. This is all afterwards I find this out that silver cord is in Ecclesiastics, and it's, you know, the verse, you know, says when the silver cord breaks and the chalice falls over, then you will come home to heaven with me. So that was the silver cord that floated by. Then I also saw, um, I looked down at my body because there was a little bit more action going on and something blue started coming out of my legs. What I didn't realize, I was my consciousness and my spirit that was from the upper half of my body. Now I was watching my consciousness and my spirit come out of my, the lower half of my body. Interesting. So it, can, it can elongate and stretch as it needs to, to escape the physical body. As, I've not heard that before until you, you know, so that's, um, 
yeah, like when I popped out, I felt like I was all of it, you know, at one time. And so that it's interesting that you could say, well, the consciousness survives, but then here's the spirit or the soul yeah. coming to merge well, with it. Actually, yes, because when it escaped, then I could feel it coming together again. You know, it's oh. like it's coagulating again. And all of a sudden here, I, I feel like I am an orb hmm. sitting in a sitting in a wand you know how kids blow bubbles with wands and they you know chase the bubble again and it catch it and it's you can see all the colors swirling around on it i i felt like a bubble sitting in a wand and i also oh. saw that it, but this wand was made of love i mean i was mm -hmm. encased in love from the moment i expect escaped my body a piece that is unexplainable that you that you feel and the love, the unconditional love and th that the universe always gives us. And then I saw a pin of light coming off from the distance, but I was look, still looking down at my body and uh, at different, I was zooming in, you know, zooming in at different uh, perceptions because I wanted, you know, at, as that blue uh, form came out of my body and it looked like lava from a lava lamp <laughs> that's how it, that's how it escaped it kind of bubbled up like that not because it wasn't a physical form at that point it 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 can morph right and this light was coming from the left from the dark because everything was dark i had looked up there was no but it was the middle of the night so yeah. i thought that was uh the way it should be no stars um when i looked up but it, i it was fine with me and then um this form came in real fast as it got closer closer then it grew up into a spirit being but i could not see the spirit being's face because the light was so bright it had rays coming out of it heart center and which was kind of covering its face up you know because the rays were so light but i could see the hair and the hair was kind of blowing in a breeze across its face a little bit and um, it had white gown on, tied at the waist with the braided robe. Um, the the sleeves kind of hung down off of its uh, wrists, and it was floor length. And he had his hair came down to about here. Um, and I didn't, I you know, I with my insecurities at the time, didn't think it would be Jesus. That you know, I figured it was a, just a spirit being. But it had a, I thought it was a lady because of the hair length but it had a man's figure and so i went on thinking it was just a spirit being but i do later find out in the book that it was jesus there and there's a pretty amazing story in its in and of itself too that that it was actually jesus that that came did you feel it. did you feel great love and great peace oh yeah it, it, well, i felt that from the moment i got out but when he yeah. came yes it increased and then i saw a second light coming off from the distance on the left and as it came, it came in like a, they both came in kind of an S-shaped curve. And then it came in as, it, uh, but as it was coming, and I knew, I have a thought about my daughter because we're real close. And, and just that thought, uh, Jesus, I'll refer to him as Jesus because I later find out he's Jesus. He answers it and says, she'll be okay. So I was going to come, you know, I was detached from this body. I didn't want to go back. Uh, but I had all of its memories of, of that lifetime, and I was ready to go. But 
he wanted me to know something. So he was showed me the future of what would happen if I decided to stay. So I felt I felt angels beside me and they, they had their arms, their hands on my arms above my elbows, lifting me up in the air. And they took me way high in the sky. And as I looked down on the country road and way off in the distance, there was an ambulance coming. Well, it wasn't, I saw car lights and they were pin lights at the time coming up the road because they were so far off. But I could, while I was way up in the sky, I felt like I was in the ambulance. I felt every bump in the road. I could hear the crush of the gravel as the tire went over it. I had all perspectives. I could, and as it came up the drive, turned into the driveway, we have a quarter of a mile driveway up to the house. I felt the lurch of the ambulance as it went over a, a rut in the road that always gets seemed to be washed out from the rain. Um, and it went into the house, the, the ambulance people went into the house. And uh, at some point, the uh, fire department had come to. But the whole point of that was they wanted to show me I was going to die, that I had not made it. And I was still okay with that. So um, I was going to go. And this light, second light that had come, by the time I was down again in front of Jesus, um, still being held in this bubble, as in this bubble form, I kept floating slow, slowly toward this other light. And what it ended up being was God. It was the light of God. And even though the the bubbling around it looked like clouds, which made it a cornucopia effect, a tunnel effect. It was God's essence in its in and of itself. It emitted it emitted the total unconditional love uh, that that's hard to imagine, and, I'm, and you know what I'm talking about. And I, it was it also even though the light coming out of it was bright, I could see colors, the rainbow colors, and I felt them. I felt them more than saw them. And I believe that is why, that is when I received the ability to feel auras. I can feel the color of auras now uh, after, because I had, I had uh, combined with the light. And in that does it get overwhelming for you or can you just kind of meditate for a minute and tune in to them? Or do I you have just... to meditate for a minute. Okay, moment. yes. I have to meditate, put myself, uh, in, into, you know, into the ethers. And then I go feel, I can go feel the energy system of people. I can tell if they're living in the past or they're living in, it tells me a lot. It tells me a lot. Um, Interesting. yeah, there was one person. Yeah. 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 We can talk about this for a minute and come back because I had never read about it. And right after my near death experience, when I went back to Austin, I saw a man playing guitar and he was on stage. And then suddenly I saw a purple light all around him. And I got the sense that he'd been through this huge spiritual transformation and so much in his life had changed. And he was on this deep spiritual path when I saw that color. And I was like, how did I know that? You know, but my mind relaxed in the music and my eyes relaxed because I was looking off in the distance and then I could see it. And I thought, well, maybe that's, you know, seeing auras that, but it takes some relaxation. It takes some meditation and quiet, quiet time, nature. I mean, you yeah. can do it from anywhere. When I read somebody's aura, I have to have complete quiet and put myself into the meditative state. And then I go, 
I actually take my send my spirit out to them and step into their their body, feel you know, feel what I'm I'm feeling and get the sense of what's going on there. Now, in that presence of God, was that the moment where you felt like your soul was being healed as well, too? Because I uh, I was wondering if that was the moment, you know, with Jesus and with God. No, that I my, my that is when I had the vision of my son Kurt. Oh, because I was just on the precipice, you know, right on the precipice of going into that light. And they showed me because I still wanted to go. They wanted to show me one more thing. And that's when they showed me a holographic picture of my son. And then that's when I knew something was going to happen with him. And he needed me there for for something. So that's when I when I saw that, that's when I told Jesus, I'm not ready to go yet. And he smiled. I couldn't, I couldn't see his face, but I knew he smiled and nodded his head. And that's when I sat, I, in my blue form, sat down in Jan's body. She was called Jan at the time. And I took my spirit knees with my hands, you know, how you'd rock back and forth on the floor. That's how I did with my spirit until I could actually, because I had my feet partially in her legs and my butt was in her butt. And then, then as I got the momentum going, then I laid down and I helped her physical body sit up and gasp for air. Wow. So that's the energy that our physical body, actually, if you think about it, the spirit, our, our, is our energy without the spirit that's why that's why the body doesn't function anymore because we are electric we're electric beings yeah that and that makes me i have two questions now because of that the first one is a lot of people come back and they're longing for that presence of god and they feel some depression or some sadness because that love was so amazing and everything else is just a piece of that love and it can be kind of disappointing in comparison to that. But then there seems to be this switch of, well, let's just use as much of that light and love from God to bring to our lives and to the lives of others. Did you, um, did you suffer with some of that missing God and kind of wondering why you came back? Uh, no, uh, first no. of all, I, first of all, I was afraid because I had never heard of near-death experiences wow. I, and I had no explanation for it. So I, I sat up and I cried all night long, uh, no. wondering what I knew I had, I knew I had died, but I didn't know what all this other stuff was about. And so I cried and so, because my breathing had been so bad, I went out and bought face masks so that I, you know, to save me from from having this happen again. I slept on the couch sitting up or in chairs trying to sit, you know. Eventually I I, um, I thought it was the cats because um, we had kittens in the house because it was uh, late fall and one of the cats had had kittens so we had them on the porch and we would often bring in, in the house. Well, they were getting older by that time and when I had this allergy, I thought, okay, I, I must have developed a cat allergy and I wanted to put them outside. Because uh, we had barns and we had heaters in there, we had uh, places to, for they for them to keep warm, and uh, my husband wanted to keep them inside till spring, so I ended up moving out to the library, which was uh, off one side of the house, and that was a cat-free zone, because you come into the the porch on the house, you go into the house or you go into the the office library area. So I moved out there and that's where I stayed 
for the rest of the winter. But it was actually the uh, plug-in, wasn't it, that you were allergic to? And, and those are those are yeah. so toxic. I don't yeah. know if people realize this, but you know, like there are workout facilities that I've walked into, and there's plug-ins everywhere. And I've gone. I said, no, you have to use something natural because this. I can't imagine like living in those toxic fumes. They're so horrible. I had uh, scented plugins next to my bed. Oh. And all over the house, except in the library, because we weren't out there very often. So that's why I was comfortable out there, because it was a, also a scent-free zone. Wow. Yeah. Um, eventually, uh, because of all the electrical phenomena and all the unusual phenomena that happened. And of course, you know, he thought I was crazy with all this stuff going on. Uh, the lights were uh, coming on by themselves or the TV would come on by themselves or um, the lights would flicker outside. And, and when, but when I was inside and I looked out, they were fine because I didn't realize the, the structure of the house was blocking my, my energetic supercharge per se <laughs> yes yeah the, yes. Telephones, yeah the telephones would ring and and nobody would be there when i'd answer it and i was getting irritated and i was thinking okay he must be having an affair this doesn't make they're hanging up on me you know she's hanging up on me so but he denied it and when i had caller id um and i would call the number back and was going to find out who this was and it was, some of them were coming from uh, the New York area, some from the Caribbean, um, didn't make sense. But when I called them back immediately, I'm talking immediately call them back. I got, you reached a non-working number. Please check your number and call again. Now I can understand getting a wrong number or something, but every time getting this recording didn't make sense to me. And so I didn't know what was going on. It was, it, and then he, I came back with the, you know, love people. I didn't know what it was about. And so I was more compassionate. And my husband didn't want me, he didn't want me going places without him because he was concerned about what was going on with me. <laughs> I mean, it was just like a, a, a crazy vaudeville thing, you know, because nobody knew what was going on. Well, eventually, um, we did break up and got back together several times trying to work things out, but nothing ever worked. Um, and so I ended up leaving, but when I left, my allergies went away, even though I was in scented zones. So I, I think, I, and after he showed me that he had tore me down that time, I know he can, he can adjust our physical body with illnesses uh, to promote us to move on from situations, you know, just like that gut feeling, you, you, you get in, in the wrong place, you need to do something about it. And when you don't, something bad happens. Well, he can use that for an, il an illness to, to make you move on too. And that's what that scent was. It created my NDE, which he wanted to, where he wanted to heal me. And it got me to move out to uh, uh, the location that I was in. And it's interesting, people who have a near-death experience and if they are married they sometimes do get divorced because they no longer are just on that same vibration with that person and they're changing 70, so much 75 percent yeah yeah and and then too that love piece it's even if you're not married because i was 22 when i had my near-death experience um there is a challenging aspect to being someone who loves everyone. You know, it's misunderstood as flirtatiousness. It's misunderstood in, in so many ways. And it, 
But when it's channeled into the classroom, like I was so happy that God gave me that mission to channel it into that format when you're the authority figure or the speaker or, you know, in that kind of location, it's so much easier to just give love. And so did you find ways to give that love and, and say well, that's, that's what I'm doing now. You know, once I, once I understood two years later, um, he, he created, and I always give him the credit for it because he does this. He had my daughter who was at college at the time have a nightmare and she called me and asked me to help her figure out what this nightmare was about. Well, I had no idea what anything about nightmare, you know, dreams. So I said, come up and we'll go to the bookstore and we'll see what we can find. And uh, we looked at various books because they have books on uh, symbology and stuff of dreams, which I was uncomfortable about because I didn't know anything. You could misconstrue those if you don't know what you're doing. So I, I, my eyes were drawn like a magnet to this particular book and God works in that way too. He can direct you what to look at. And I picked this book up and I said, I think this is the one we need. So um, we, I, we went home and, and she was, since she was doing her studies and uh, working at the time, uh, I read the book and we found out the answer to her, my, her nightmare that went away. And at the very end of the book, um, I found out about what and what happened in mine because she explained uh, was going to be in her next book uh, the the process of death, the tunnel coming, the the light of love, and looking down on your body, everything that happened. So then I started having an ex having uh, some knowledge of what happened that and that all made sense. And once you have the knowledge of what happened, then you can heal. You, you're not crazy anymore, you know, because everything, everything afterwards, even though you know you had died, you didn't know what it was about, and all these crazy things were happening, you thought, what's going on in this world? Yeah, you, you just didn't know. But once you have an idea, and that's why it would be so important for doctors and everything to get knowledge of these things so that they can help them in the ears, it might save a lot of marriages and misunderstandings, you know what I mean? Yeah, well, I have a question. It was very poignant when you were talking about your spirit form kneeling back down and your body and rocking back and forth to get back into your body. There was just something about that image that was striking. And then what you said afterwards about how our spirit is our energy and it moves us forward. Is there something you could say to listeners right now who are listening and are um, trying to use their spirit to heal something within their body or within their emotional field? Like what, um, what kind of information do you think would be most important for them? Well, I, at, at, after all this happened and I read more about Benny Hinn, uh, he said, God is the creator. Jesus is the healer, but the spirit, the, the Holy spirit is the energy that does the healing. Now you can, if you want to heal something, you can put your hands on it or concentrate on it. It works differently for, for different people. Uh, my daughter has healing hands and what she does is pray for Jesus to heal through her and he can use the Holy Spirit's energy to create that healing to, to be done. And it's, it's your mindset that's very important because you know it's healed and then it's healed. That's very important with it. Uh, it's, and I, there was a, um, another talk that I listened to that this, your mind and 
because she can you can feel the energy when she moves it in your body it's amazing how that works oh yes so i have not tried that kind of healing i've done it with prayer so. yeah and this kind of reminds me of what you're saying i just listened to a quick little clip from joe dispenza who was talking about how so many of us wake up with tired thoughts and angry thoughts you know we're depressed about you know how the day's going to go or whatever and we just wake up with stress and then we just create more of it so it's so important to shift your mind with prayer it's so important to live as if something has already healed to live as if something has already occurred and the more you live in that vibration the more it comes toward you but it is it is a practice i mean it's you know and i have found there's a song that i every you know song God comes in songs too. And there is one that I like to listen to in the morning when I get up and it makes my whole day change. You know, if I get up in a bad mood and I listen to that, I can all shut it away. I'll sit in my meditative state at my computer and I'll listen to somewhere in time. Oh. And it has a crescendo, yeah, a crescendo there. At, at, it's only like a three minute clip. And, and as it goes on, then, then, at, as the crescendo, then I, I raise my hand and I ask God to, to protect me with the white light of the Holy Spirit. And I surround myself in a bubble and I let everything drain away and it makes my whole day go much better. And if even you know, people can try that song, it's on YouTube and see what they think about it too. Yeah, but I think what you said is also important that being washed clean of all those negative thoughts or, you know, anything that we're creating that is not in the direction that we want. I talk a lot about manifestation. There's only so much we can control because God is in control as well. And so to me, it becomes humorous when people think that they can control everything. We don't have that kind of power. We don't have that kind of time. And yet it really, what we're allowing ourselves is the best possible outcome and the best possible uh, experience and it's our perception we can yeah. you know, we can put on our positive glasses and look at everything with love and and with uh, miracles in our mind you know what's this what's this for you know he created this for a reason now i'm not talking about a flower or anything something that happens in your life you know this there everything is for a particular reason may not be for you maybe it's for them you know yes yeah yes so mm -hmm. if you had to pull together like the top lessons from these three near-death experiences and you think okay these are the ones that are the most powerful and the most important what would those lessons be well first of all god is alive and well and he lives in us i saw it matter of fact the blue blue holy spirit colton burples explains in his bible well i mean in his book when he was in heaven his father asked him the people he saw and he one of the people he mentioned was the holy spirit and he asked what he looked like and colton says it's hard to explain dad he's blue so that corresponds with mine and so we know the holy spirit is in us at all times actually if you think about it He's looking out of our eyes. This is just a physical body. These are portholes to this world for him. And, and if you think of him as being uh, one aspect of God, you know God is with us at all times. And with God, you can do anything. So, um, and everything 
is about love. That's the message I brought back. As I sat down in Janet's, in Jan's body, I get confused because now I'm Janet. I don't feel like Jan anymore. So I've, I've started introducing myself to Janet a long time ago. Um, she's nobody, I mean, she's not me anymore. Um, love is all the thing, the only thing that matters. That's what echoed over and over when I was sitting back in, in Janet's spot, Jan's body. And it, it echoes in my soul every time. Uh, I, I get up in the morning and thousands of times during the day. So those two are important. And then I had that thou shalt not judge review in, in my experiences as well, which I tell about. So we're not supposed to judge because we are souls having a human experience. Everyone is, and we don't know what makes the person that they are um, up until this point. So it's not for us to judge, it's for God to judge. And just understand that if they're having a problem in the day, it's their problem and your problem is how you react to it. So if you react with love and if it's not a situation you want to be in, just step away and move on your way. That's, it, that's the most important thing for, for us. So oh, Perfect. Yes. Amen. And there's a, a piece about, you know, that many of us hear that same message about love that, you know, of course, God is real and love is all that matters is what echoed. Um, for me, I had a hairdresser the other day go, well, that sounds like a Beatles song. And he's like, well, the Beatles were pretty spiritual. <laughs> so maybe, maybe they were onto something. There's a lot of songs, <laughs> a lot of songs out there that are spiritual. And, yeah. and the part that, um, you know, like it's pretty easy to have a mission and to give love, but another part of that is also receiving love and being open to that. And we can have our blocks to receiving love. Did you, have you worked through, through some of that as well? I'm still working through it because <laughs> I, you know, I was an independent woman, you know, I was, did everything on my own and, and it's, it's a process of, of, uh, learning to accept the help that people offer you uh, because that's that's love in itself too you know to accept that love yeah and I look at it like you know it, it blesses them in a sense because they're in that flow of giving God and giving love to you and you're allowing that to happen so it is this kind of circular thing yes and and I'll get messages when I'm out on the road you uh, you know be in an uh, elevator and I'll get the message tell her tell her her hair's nice, you know, <laughs> oh, your hair looks beautiful. <laughs> Just so they light up. It's those little messages that you get, you know, in your mind that's uh, important. Those, that's how they guide us. They guide us through those thoughts that they implant. Um, like you forgot your keys or uh, you're going to spill this drink or tell her her hair looks nice. Um, it's not only the big things that they guide us in this every day. So they are with us all the time. It's not us. And, and I am trying to, through this YouTube channel and through talking, I'm trying to get people to realize too, that the comments and interactions in Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, and you know, all these places are also spirit and it's, you know, a projection of who we are and to always move in that direction of joy. And I think that's part of, of what I'm trying to teach, but do you get a sense of why there's so much um, hatred and negativity in some of these formats and then, you know, how we can create more love through, through technology? Yeah. Yeah. That's all we can do. Yeah. We can only 
spread our love and love will make the difference eventually. The more of us there are doing this, the better it might get. Yes. That'd be a process just like everything else. Yeah, evolution in a sense. You know, that's the more life there is, the more think how we far we have come, you know, uh in days from when they used to kill each other with spears and stuff like that. So <laughs> Yes. And my last question for you is this because I always think about the people who write in and, you know, email me different questions and I'm sure you get emailed a variety of questions, but say someone is going through a difficult moment with another person, maybe a family member or maybe, you know, a sibling or friend or spouse or, or whatever. And you were talking about how perceptions uh, color that, that interaction. What can that person do from what you know from your near-death experience to get through that moment with more grace? Well, first of all, either I have learned, you know, because I'm in a situation where I need to sometimes I think I'm I'm trying to smooth the waters, but by smoothing the waters and saying, well, she thought I think she thinks this, I'm discounting them. Don't discount somebody's perception because that is real to them. Find out what it is exactly that that they are thinking and what it means to them before you try and smooth the waters. It might be their their perception is valid as well as the other perception. Um, and then maybe you can bring them together at some point or make help them understand each other. But trying to smooth the waters and discount everything sometimes upsets another person. Yeah, and people do that. They'll say, oh, this person's delusional or, oh, this person, you know, is, and maybe they are living in a limited perspective of something. But but yet at the same time, you're not going to get them to open up with, with judgments and looking at it that way. So you're right. You do have to give credit to what that's, they're. That's their reality. Yeah. You need to honor that as well. So. Yeah. And that's love in action. Uh -huh. Yeah. Interesting. Uh -huh. Well, thank you so much. Uh, I do want to ask you quickly, like where you are in the process with your book. Are you near finishing it? Or are you in the editing yeah. process? Very edge of the last edit, and then I'm the the agent um, and sending out for publishers. Yeah, uh, next step. Uh, right, it should be done, I suppose, by the end of next week uh, to do that. The editing, the final edits. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. So people can find me on Janet Tarantino Facebook or JanetTarantino.com for my book, Dying to See. Great, and I'll put those links below. And for everyone watching. Um, I have enjoyed this interview and I hope that you'll check out the classes with other near-death experiencers and maybe we'll have Janet on here at some point. That would be fun. I hope that these keep going. Uh, how, to, how to connect with God. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. All right. Well, thank you everyone and may you be blessed. Hello, beautiful light-filled souls. My name is Trisha Barker, and I'm excited to let you know that the second annual online near-death experience summit is coming up this June 23rd with speakers, Dr. Raymond Moody, Lisa Smart, Dr. Jeffrey Long, Dr. Eben Alexander, Karen Newell, Nancy Rines, Howard Storm, Paul Perry, David Ditchfield, Leslie Lupo, Kimberly Clark Sharp, Dr. Tony Chikoria, John Burke, Jose Hernandez, and me, your host. 
there are plenty of videos to check out ahead of time, but please look at this link and we'd love to have you join. You can get your questions answered by the speakers at this event. And thank you. Thank you so much for your support of my memoir, Angels in the OR, which launched last month. It is such a pleasure to connect with readers and many people have enjoyed the Audible. So if you don't have an Audible subscription, you can have three, 30 days um, for free and get my book that way. But I would love to hear from you and I hope you enjoyed this recording. You can check out these interviews on my YouTube channel. I'm converting many of them over to podcast, but enjoy. <music>